This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Get ready to dial into the exciting world of call centers with First Contact, stories of the call center podcast. Join us as we share stories from industry leaders, explore the latest trends and technologies, and tackle the challenges and triumphs of the contact center landscape. Fasten your seatbelt for a high-energy journey brought to you by Nobel Biz, the one-stop shop for all your call center needs, both in software and service. All right, hey everybody. We're excited for another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. We're thrilled to have our guest today, Dan Greenwell, who's the CEO of Customer Dynamics, a company at the forefront of innovating, uh, being able to do cost-effective contact center solutions. And look, Dan has over 35 years of executive experience. He's been an industry thought leader, and he's really championed for IT to be that pivotal resource for enhancing customer experience and driving profitability. So glad to have you here, Dan. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Christian. I appreciate the, appreciate the kind introduction and uh, looking forward to it. Uh, uh, I think you guys are also on the, uh, on the leading edge of innovation and technology as well. So it's nice to work with, uh, with a partner uh, who has similar, uh, uh, similar approaches and, and similar desires to, to utilize technology uh, at its best. Well, I appreciate that. And I think from all the conversations we've had, we've always been able to agree on how do we help people improve the outcomes and to do so, obviously, in a great way, comparably to what we probably were doing in the past. And we'll talk more about that later. But one of the things that's really the cornerstone of this show is to go, how did you get to where you are today? There's always this question of, I know you didn't wake up yesterday and say, I want to be in the contact center space. So we want to hear your story. Well, sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of a unique trip uh, that I've made. Uh, didn't start out here. Started out as, uh, quite frankly, a, a, a CPA uh, right out of college, was a CPA, worked with one of the big four firms, uh, worked internationally with them. And then I decided I wanted to do something else. So I uh, became a operations manager in a, uh, in a global chemical company and responsible for uh, custom synthesis and working with sales and marketing and operations uh, to figure out how we uh, manufacture custom synthesis. And uh, that was a one, probably one of the best experiences I had. Then they um, they asked me to go back into the accounting world after having that operational experience, and I became their uh, their corporate controller, and then moved up. Uh, quite frankly, as a CFO of public companies, I've been CFO of four public companies and a, a CEO uh, of a public company. So I have the certainly have the financial background, uh, the operational background, and the CEO background uh, for uh, for companies in a variety of industries, primarily industrial industries. Really wasn't in the contact center business. Uh, but was very familiar with with uh, call centers. I would say at, at one of the companies I worked at, we had uh, literally hundreds of agents uh, on the phone with customers. So became somewhat familiar with that and the technology. But that was that was back in the old days. Uh, that technology was back in the you know uh, late uh, uh, you know late eighties. I would say uh, or late eighties, early nineties. Uh, technology today is is uh, dramatically changed. Uh, from back then, we were figuring out how to put put our first internet orders in at that time. So let's talk about customer dynamics and how you got to customer dynamics. So when you went from this CPA background, when you went from this background in leadership and in finance, what made you go compliance? <laughs> what made you go into this part of the business? Now, it's a, it's a very good question. Uh, really, I've, I've always been comfortable with compliance because 
as a CPA, uh, you know, we had all the SEC requirements, all of the reporting requirements, things like that. And working in a chemical company, we had all the safety, workers' comp issues, the uh, uh, environmental issues we had to adhere with, uh, the product shipment and delivery, uh, all kinds of compliance uh, up and down the line on, on things. And quite frankly, it was it was pretty pretty easy for me. Compliance is not a challenge for me. It's a series of reading reading and understanding and making sure you're doing things properly with the focus always being on how do I do it in a cost-effective mode. It's easy to do compliance if you don't worry about cost. It's hard to do compliance if you if you want to worry about cost and make sure that you're profitable and that your customers are profitable in the process. So that was the focus I always came in is how do we do it well, but how do we do it in a cost-effective manner so that it can still be profitable and you can still grow your business? That That's sort of been the key. Um, but to get to how did I get to this business? Well, I was retiring as a public company C- CEO, and I'm you know uh, wasn't ready to retire. And uh, I, I found this company to buy. I looked at it three years earlier, but uh, just didn't have a chance to purchase it then. And I purchased it at the end of 2018 with the idea of completely revamping the products, bringing it up to a modern. Uh, uh, platform, cost-effective platform, full AWS serverless p- technology, um, and and that's and, and then focus on the compliance and outbound and PCI payments uh, was an area that I saw gaps in the market and and thought that we might be able to fill and and that's what we've been focused on uh, for the last several years. So for those that don't know what customer dynamics does, what are you are as a company? What's your mission, right? What are you trying to solve? And I know we talked about earlier about compliance and profitability, right? But let's step back for a minute and let's just say, what is Customer Dynamics as a company? What do you do and what is your mission? Sure. Well, I'll, t- I'll give you a little bit of history because we've morphed from when I originally bought the company to, to where we're at today. We used to be a SIP partner uh, uh, for, for contact centers, so some of the big contact centers. We also were a Microsoft Dynamics consulting and implementation company. So our roots really came through Microsoft Dynamics and then being a SIP partner from implementation. We really didn't have any products that were that were out there in the market. Immediately when we bought the company, uh, bought the company, wanted to have our own products in, in addition to the, I call it the Microsoft Dynamics implementation. We also sold, uh, we were a, a, a CSP for Microsoft, so we sold Microsoft products as well. We wanted to morph into products uh, and the 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 gap we saw in the market was was a pretty significant with outbound uh, outbound products and compliance products and actually a Microsoft Dynamics gap where uh, y- you could increase agent efficiency. So our whole approach is how do we increase agent efficiency, and that's been our sole focus. And, and then bind that together with how do we increase agent efficiency and do it in a highly compliant manner that's cost effective for customers. So if that's what you if that's what you what our mission statement is, it's a long one, but uh, um, agent efficiency, cost effective compliance. I mean that's really what our what our mission is and all of our products reflect that, how to improve the efficiency of their agents, how to make sure you're compliant and do it in a very cost effective manner. Um, so that the contact center and our customers uh, um, are, are more profitable and continue uh, continue using uh, that as a as a platform to to reach out to customers. And that's great when you think about how the industry has evolved, right? Compliance and outbound specifically go hand in hand. And 
both, obviously, um, they wouldn't really exist if there wasn't uh, a, a reason to call and a reason that made sense financially, right? There has to be some ROI, whether it's keeping customers, acquiring customers, getting a message out, whatever it may be. But doing so in a compliant, efficient way and for it to still be profitable, I think has been a challenge for a lot of companies uh, over time. And I think it'll continue to be that way. So with that as the framework, having compliance tools, having technology products for outbound uh, outreach is not anything new, right? For those of us that have been in the industry for a while, that's been happening for a long time. And there's a lot of companies that compete and there's a lot of maturity that's here. So what made customer dynamics when it came in to be able to now say, there's something different that we do. It's not just effective and it's efficient, it's uh, it's productive and so on and so on. But is there anything unique or special that you do that allows you to compete in such a mature market that really, in, in a lot of ways, does have a lot of saturation? Any secret sauce you can share about what differentiates you in the marketplace? Well, I don't know if it's a secret sauce, but it's an approach that we made, it, we made early on is um, a lot of legacy systems have what we call technology debt, and that technology debt will will likely prohibit them from competing uh, long term in, in a market that's rapidly changing and focusing on cost. So our platform is serverless. That's one of the things we wanted to go to the cloud uh, 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 SaaS software. And it's serverless, and we need to be able to set up instances. For example, if you have a customer uh, in the UK or in Australia or Germany or someplace else in, in, in Asia somewhere, that you need to be able to take your platform, set up an instance in AWS, and do it within hours at, at virtually virtually no cost at all or very little cost. So so theoretically, if you ask us to set up a, a, a platform in Germany, we could do that in a matter of hours versus the traditional system where you had to buy servers, you had to provision it, you had, I mean, it, it's just a whole, it's just a whole issue of a cost structure. So we knew that's where the world was going in a lower cost environment. It's, it's, it's a commodity product, as you said, uh, it's, it's a highly saturated product, but the real key is get the technology right so that you don't have the increasing cost with personnel. Uh, making sure that it's state-of-the-art technology and you can scale it uh, rapidly uh, without additional um, tranche cost steps. But the real key for us was always focus on making sure your product can handle uh, the compliance attributes jurisdiction by jurisdiction. And that is that is one of the keys that we've done is we made sure that we can handle. I mean, theoretically, if you had a jurisdiction down to a zip code, we could comply with that to a specific zip code or a specific area code, our system is built so you can comply at different layers. Uh, so if you wanted to go by, via state um, or via uh, or via states with multiple time zones or any of that kind of stuff, or new rules in state A, they're a little bit different than state B or state C, that yes, you can design your campaigns to make sure that your system is flexible enough to meet the ever-changing requirements, which is which is really there, and it's, it's kind of a buzz phrase and, and maybe a little bit tired, but I'm going to use it anyway. Future-proof your compliance. We don't know what the laws are going to be tomorrow or the day after or next year, but have a system and bring a system into your operations that allows you that flexibility for the future. I mean, for example, Florida has been one of the most flexible year after year. They're, they have rules. They don't have rules. They have some more rules. Uh, and, and other states... Uh, 
I think it's fair to say, and it's not not going out on a limb, that states are going to bring in their own rules, and they're not going to be easier going forward. And 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 the same for the feds, uh, you know, federal statutes. Um, they're going to be more difficult. Uh, they're going to be varied. Uh, they're going to be all over the place. Make sure you have a system that's flexible enough to handle all of that. And, and I guess that is how we differentiate ourselves. Good technology, good flexible systems, uh, implement it in a speedy fashion, and make sure that it's cost effective so that you don't, you know, you, you, your customer has to make money. And, and that's what we want the customers to do is to be able to make money and 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 expand and grow their operations. And how do we fit in on that? And, and that's that's really been our focus. Everybody has to make money uh, for something to be successful. And, uh, you know, it, it sounds pretty commercial, but quite frankly, that's that's where we need to be. Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. Nobel Biz would like to salute the contact center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz Omni Plus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, WhatsApp, Twitter, Telegram, among others. Our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent and supervisor dashboards, and many more performance-enhancing capabilities, all in just one product. Nobel Biz OmniPlus, the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz OmniPlus at www.nobelbiz.com. Now, and, and I agree. I appreciate you going into that level of depth for those that kind of want to understand some of the challenges that contact centers, communication platform limitations on flexibility, right? When you have a new regulation, whether it's state or federal or a combination of the two that layer on top of each other, the way that you have to comply, sometimes you don't have a choice. Now, how you get to comply, how much effort, time, resources it takes for you to do so uh, can cost you efficiencies, can cost you productivity, can cost your ability to generate X when you need Y. And so what I'm hearing and what I understand from uh, our relationship has been that what is the strength of any system, whether it's yours or otherwise, when it comes to compliance, is not only what can you do now to help you as efficiently and as quickly as possible to comply, but also when that next thing that happens tomorrow, next week, six months, a year from now, how long does it take you to be able to not only adopt and implement that into your workflow, but what does it do to your productivity? What does it do to your ability to be able to, as you said, make money? And then there's obviously the flip side of it, right? What risk tolerance do you have to allow yourself to continue the status quo, whatever that may be, and potentially put your business at risk or your customer at risk uh, for not being compliant. And so really being able to understand all of the nuance of all the different laws that are applicable to your calls and how you can operationalize that in your business and doing so in a very quick, easy, singular place is really important. And so as an addition to that dynamic, one of the errors that customer dynamics I know focuses and is also in being able to compliantly dial 
from a TCPA standpoint and to do so in a productive manner. Can you give us some insight into at least that piece of it of why? I mean, that's not new. Tons of people have TCPA solutions. They've had them for a long time. Why would someone buy a, a new, another TCPA solution if they've already been dialing compliantly for a while? Well, I, I think that's a, that's a really good question. And and that's, uh, you know, we, we hear customers ask us that, why, why should we look at you guys? Why is your mousetrap better than uh, the mousetrap that I'm currently using? And, and let's let's really layer. It's really layers uh, on the whole TCPA compliance and outbound. And let's start with sort of the fundamentals. The DNC, do not call. Reassign number, do not, you know, don't, don't, you know, check to see that it's not reassigned. So that's sort of the, that's sort of the first step is how do we integrate with the leading uh, DNC providers so that we seamlessly uh, integrate with their DNC scrubs that we do. Your internal DNC, the customers are required to maintain an internal DNC. So that's sort of the, the whole DNC uh, reassigned number database check. That's that's sort of the front end. That's that's the very basics. The second thing is is okay. Now that I've scrubbed for those, uh, do I have an existing business relationship that I can call on? Am I calling a customer that's effectively consented outbound, or am I calling where it's non-consented outbound, where I'm doing additional marketing efforts that aren't specifically consented? Um, and, and that's one of the things that people often have to look at is, okay, on a, on a, a consented lead, I can go out on an automated telephone dialing system, ATDS. On a non-consented lead, I, I can't do that. That's a violation. So I may have, they may be existing customers. And a perfect example is I have a, a home loan um, and I want to market auto, auto insurance through that, that using that customer contact or home insurance. Um, those marketing calls for auto insurance or or home insurance are not existing business relationships. Those are marketing outbound efforts. So if you don't have express written consent for those, uh, you can't go out on an ATDS. We offer a solutions, both solutions, a, a, a ATDS compliance solution and a non-consented, which is Safe Select, our product. So we can go out on Safe Select very efficiently. Um, not as fast as an auto dialer, but very close to it, where you can make that outbound call and be in compliance. You also have the states who have maybe different definitions from the federal ATDS. You have two layers of ATDS. You have the federal definition, and you may have a state definition, which is different. You have call window opportunities or curfews um, on a federal level that states are likely going to be tighter than the federal level. So you have all these different, what I call layers and filters that you have to go through to make sure that you're going uh, out, uh, you know, out in a compliant manner. Maybe it's a requirement of three times in 24 hours. Debt collection is a little bit different. Seven times in seven days. Any mode of communication, voice, SMS, email. Um, and you have to make sure that your system uh, allows the suppression that you don't exceed those thresholds. And you also need to be able to go out on a uh, omni-channel approach. Uh, a phone call is not the best way a lot of times. A lot of the younger generation, they don't want to call. They want an SMS. Uh, and or or an email or combo, so you can use these systems to design your campaigns, to design your layers of compliance, so that if there's a regulation change tomorrow, it's very easy. It's just a setting. It's not massive reprogramming. It's not rewriting code. It's not two months of development uh, and thousands of dollars of cost. It's merely settings in a system that you can move. So. Uh, you know that that's how we look at it is making those changes quickly, 
uh, having those systems that can address all the layers and then having the uh, you know infinite flexibility to design your outbound campaigns with with all the different compliance uh, uh, requirements that are there. And, and quite frankly, if, if you just diagram it out, it's not that hard. It really isn't that hard, but but there's layers and you have to address each layer or, or columns, address each column of compliance and then look at your look at look at how you want to design it and set your system up. And, and we have that capability. So that's how we I mean, I would I hate to say it, Christian, but but I'm kind of reverting back to the old. Well, let me get a column spreadsheet in the old accounting world and, you know, in each column design, OK, I'm the federal the federal TCPA, including DNC, including reassigned numbers, you know, that kind of stuff. Now move to a state. Well, what states do I have that are different from the federal? What you know, is there any other? You know, it, Oh, it's debt collection. So there's requirements of seven times in seven days, any mode, or it's a, a, a non-consented marketing outbound. OK, depending on the state number of times in in the number of days and mode of communication so quite frankly for me it's a it's not a, com, a difficult class it's an old spreadsheet <laughs> lining up columns and deciding how I'm going to be compliant and and how I want to design my campaign that'll be as you said efficient and profitable for the for the customer so that's uh, that that's how we look at it and that's how we want our uh, you know our approach to customers how to make them efficient and flexible yeah, and I think it's important to also note that to add one more layer of complexity is there's also sometimes customer preference, right? Where they're dictating, you cannot reach me at this time or on this device or on this phone. Uh, if it's on this phone, it's between these time sets. And so there's certain layers that are not easy to get to the level of granularity that you've talked about earlier. That you can get all the way down to some very specific level that's more at the contact level or even the number level or the media level versus just the global level. And so when you take that to the efficiency standpoint, right, where we've talked about the manual dial, there's a lot of forms of a manual dial, and some of them are just way more productive than others. When we're talking about contact rate, contacts per hour, we're talking about the ability to have more conversations, that's money at the end of the day, no matter how you slice, it, it's money. And so not every manual dialing solution is as productive and compliant at the same time and as flexible from all of the current and future needs in compliance that every other system in the market is. So it's really important when you look at these solutions that you look at that. And so when we look at, let's say, Safe Select as an example, that is considered in the industry one of the standard um, levels of productivity, compliance, ease of use implementation. So I think that is really important when we're looking at these different dynamics is do you have the trifecta, right? Do you have all of them or are you sacrificing one of those to get the other? Any other thing you want to add around that concept before we kind of hop to the next topic? No, I think you're exactly right, Christian. I mean, the the whole, um, every contact is a personal discussion with that contact and meeting their needs and their preferences. And, and you're exactly right. Every contact may have a different call preference or a mode of communication preference. And they say, only call me on Wednesday and Thursday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. You need to be able to retain that type of information in your system. And we do. And the system houses that so that you can really tailor your system to what that customer preference is. Or customer says, I don't want to be called at all. I only want you to text me. And you can text me anytime. You can text me anytime. Uh, and, and, and so we set that obviously not out of curfew, but, 
but but within that range, and we can do that. And some say only call me at this specific number. Uh, and you know we have the ability of primary numbers, secondary, tertiary numbers, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's it's taking your contact center and your outbound and t- having it as flexible and detailed enough that you meet the customer where they want to be and make sure that you, you, you know, if they say, put me on a do not call list, immediately make that change right there in your system. Place no more calls, emails, or texts to them. Uh, and, and maybe they say, I, uh, put me, do not communicate through one channel. And you can do one channel, but you can do two other channels or, you know, one channel and two not, or that type of thing. So it, it's all about meeting the customer expectation, and, and that's what we want to do. So, so yeah, that's kind of all I have to say on that is, is these systems have to be more sophisticated than a manual dialing system and do it in a very cost-efficient uh, way so that your agents are money and your, connecting, your connectivity rates become high because that's where, you, uh, that's where you maintain your profitability. Awesome. So I think there's congratulations in order, obviously, for those that don't know your history at Customer Dynamics. I think you've recently become the CEO of the company. And obviously, when it comes to that, uh, congratulations. On the other side of it, there's got to be a vision that you have for the business, right? For what the future state looks like and what you want to achieve. Is there any insight you can share about well, what the change in your role in the company has meant? And also, what does that mean for the future of the company? No, I, I mean, the role is, I mean, the role is not a new role for me. Uh, I was CEO of a public company and been CFO of public companies in the past. So the role's not different. And quite frankly, most of all the the compliance uh, attributes around the product, um, I was heavily involved on the original design and and engineering of those. So uh, the compliance side and the efficiency side, uh, with a former CFO background, uh, dovetailed in nicely. Um, the transition had been planned for some time. Uh, our previous C- CEO, Jeff Obany, uh, may turn 65, and he said, when I turn 65, I want to retire. And so we, we we had known this all along. But I've been involved from the company from day one and and the primary investor in the company as well. Uh, so this is uh, not unexpected. And it's, uh, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's not a big change. It's not a big change. So the strategy going forward is, is what I think we've previously talked about, uh, uh, how to give uh, customers a better experience and, and maintain their profitability and maintain it in a compliant manner uh, to avoid risk. And and some customers, as you said earlier, do um, are willing to accept a higher tolerance risk. So uh, it's not a one size fits all. It, it ultimately depends on the customer. I mean, if a customer doesn't want to do a DNC scrub, we're, we're not going to make them. Uh, uh, some customers don't want to do it. They they think that now nah, we've uh, we feel these are all consent. You know, we feel these leads are good, or uh, we don't have a risk, and and they won't they won't want to do the DNC scrub. Um, but you know, we we we're not going to make them. But we always point out that look, there's risk if you're if you're willing to tolerate such risk, um, and. Uh, you know some of the other things that you know it, customers. It's customers' business, not ours. Uh, we 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 do what they what they want to do, and if they're willing to accept a, a risk profile, some customers aren't, and uh, you've got to work with the customer that, for what fits them the best, and that that's what we want to do. So when it comes to the compliance side, Ray, we've known for some time that you um, really test your stuff in the market. You go out and you partner and, inter- and interact with attorneys and firms and litigators and uh, being able to just see how does not only a compliance product stand up in the market, but how do you stay up to date, right? With all the changing things 
What do you recommend to any business out there outside of obviously, of course, you'd love for them to do business with you. But in the end, how do they stay educated? And I get it. People have their own internal law firms and attorneys and they have a compliance person and they maybe have a compliance people. But what have you seen when you stay so on top of this? What does it look like from your perspective when you go out and say, what should a contact center be doing, at least at the minimum level, of really being up to date with all the different changes that happen from a compliance perspective? Well, I, I guess uh, my approach may be different than, than, than a contact center. Uh, um, and and I'll, I'll have to admit, mine's probably a nerd, a nerd approach. Uh, <laughs> And that nerd approach is the following, is we have, we have built relationships with leading uh, attorneys around the country. We, we contact them on a, uh, on a consistent basis. Uh, we circle around with them several times a year. There's three in particular that, that, are, that are national leaders. And, and I only mention these three because we talk with them probably most frequently. Um, those three are uh, Eric Troutman. He's one of them. Michelle Schuster. Uh, is the second one, and Aaron Weiss is the third one. They're uh, the three most active that we work with. There's also numerous others, and I don't want to slight them for not mentioning them, but but those are the ones that are active. We regularly attend uh, uh, compliance seminars. Uh, we we are sponsor of one coming up in July, so we're actively involved in uh, in the legal. Uh, compliance seminars. We're actively involved with other seminars. We attend them. Uh, DNC.com has seminars twice a year. We go to those. We go to other seminars. But we, we keep in touch with the attorneys on a regular basis. And uh, uh, some of them have blogs. We're up to date on every day on those blogs. So we understand where changes are coming through. And, and, and that's part of our job. It's, it's, it's part of our job to do that, uh, our daily activities. Um, and um, we can sit down and talk with pretty much any council, a TCPA council, uh, federal and state on, on the different laws and how our system works with them. Uh, and I, uh, the three that I previously mentioned, we, we talk with them on a regular basis. Uh, how are you guys handling this? This is what we're doing. Okay. That sounds like you've got it. And we, we cross check all three of them back and forth to make sure that we're one, one's opinion may or may not be a little bit different than the other. And, and sometimes they are. And so we're typically on the um, on the tightest compliance side. Our, our goal is to be on the tightest compliance side, uh, so that you know our customers can feel confident, uh, and the contact centers customers can feel confident that our that our software provides them with the level of security that that, that they desire. And and that's uh, you know safe select. That's why we call it. That's why we call it that. That provides them with a safety level um, uh, that they desire. So. It's just good old fashioned, uh, you know, good old fashioned blocking and tackling. There's no magic elixir. It's just keeping current, talking to the industry leaders, participating actively in, in these conferences to make sure that you're up and current with the most recent laws and cases uh, and making sure that your your software or your services uh, can adhere to those. And and that's what we do. I mean, that's, uh, that's that's part of our job. That's part of like waking up every morning and and, and doing that. So. No magic elixir, just a good old fashioned blocking and tackling. Well, I, I think you're you're not giving yourself enough credit, and two areas that I think is really important. Right, is when I've talked to a lot of companies over the years around what kinds of products a company could implement to help them be more productive. Whenever you come to the compliance side, right, there's always this balance between risk tolerance on the compliance side and the business operations side, the productivity. What do I actually have to have as an outcome? 
from the productivity side. And how do you find that balance between the two? And sometimes you have companies that their risk tolerance is not high at all, right? They are literally want to go the most what we'll call conservative route possible because they can't even have the concept of risk to their business, right? And then you have the other side. It's like, well, I'm I'm able to have a much higher risk tolerance and I'm able to live in the area of these things. And I'm not talking about things that are illegal. I'm not talking about people who are saying, I'm outright going to call people that uh, I don't have permission to call on an ATDS. I'm going to call them more times than I can. I'm going to call them out of hours. We're not talking about that. We're talking about between the spectrum of, I can use this type of system technology-wise. I can approach it from this type of process. I can consider this an attempt. You know, I have my versions, my interpretations of case law to uh, all the way to the actual laws themselves to this side. And this is the, the real strict side. And what I find is most approaches when you have this, what we'll call this, the, the tug of war between operational outcomes and compliance uh, necessity is that you're giving up something, right? And some of that's because you either don't always fully understand um, where not only your position is compliance-wise, but also what other things are out there education-wise to help you understand that maybe your position actually is not just overly conservative, but maybe even destructive to your business because you're maybe not interpreting something the right way. And then on the other end of it, you may be too gung-ho to say, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. And then you realize, whoa, whoa, this does apply to you. So having a partner, whomever it may be, whether it's you or otherwise, it's really important not only to be really educated, really have your finger on the pulse, but to also look back internally and say, I don't have all the answers. I'm not the very best at this because I'm only as good as what I know and what I've done and what I manage internally. And as you build those relationships, as you network, as you learn, you're able to then come back internally to see how do I best reflect on what I'm doing? And if there's these small changes that are material, or if overall, I actually have to change everything I'm doing. And so do you find when you go talk to companies, when you're out learning the next new thing, or when the new thing is coming down the pipeline, that there's that same analogy where there's people you run into and they're going, yeah, no, I can do this. And you're going, no, you really can't. And then there's other people that are going, oh, I can't do that. That's 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 in the gray. And you're like, no, this is actually legitimate. Do you cross that? Do you run into those scenarios? Um, only every day. <laughs> only every day. Let, let me let me let, let me give you an example. Uh, and and two different clients, unnamed. I, I have one major national account that they are compliance is their focus. I mean, they want to make sure they're absolutely compliant. If abandonment rate goes above a half a percent, they get nervous when we know that it can be 3%, oh, you know, over the, 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 the time frame that they look at. But when they go above half a percent, so, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a conversation with them and said, hey, guys, your, your abandonment rate is running really, really low. I said, you know, I, I don't know if you're, you know, maybe you can get higher efficiency with your agents if, if you tune it up a little bit, if you want. I said, I'm not, I'm not telling you what to do and I'm not going to, I'm not your counselor, but, but, but I, I noticed that your abandonment rate is very, very low. Are your agents maintaining their efficiency? Uh, are you getting enough calls and so that they're not waiting idle? And and their response back to me is, yes, we're happy with our efficiency. Let me tell you how our customer profiles react if they get a call and we're not there to answer it. They immediately want to be put on the do not call list. So for us, it's a business risk 
that we want to be able to contact them on a regular basis, and we don't want them to be put on a do not call list. So we have found over time that running our abandonment rates low, keeping them very, very low, is the best business solution for us versus, yeah, we can run up to 3%, but how many more people are going to be put on, put us on the do not call list? Uh, and, and he goes, we don't want to lose those potential customers because we find over time that keeping the abandonment rate is really low is best for our business. And that's a perfect business case. Other ones don't have that at all. In fact, I have others that are that are going over the 3% and, and there's reasons for it. But I say, look, guys, just, just to let you know, I'm not your compliance officer, but you're running, you're running over your three percent, and and here's here's all the information to show you that. And they said, yeah, yeah, but we've got our agents working both an inbound and an outbound skill. So if inbound calls come, they're going to take precedence over the outbound, uh, and we're going to answer the inbound call. And I said, okay, you've got blended skill set, an inbound and an outbound at the same time. But realize as those inbounds are unpredictable, uh, you don't know when they're going to come in. Uh, you're mixing two skill levels, uh, inbound and outbound, so that you're placing a call, uh, someone answers and you, you, the agent picks up and answers, you're, you're having a higher abandonment rate. And, and their, their concept is those inbound calls are way more valuable to us than an outbound call. If someone's calling us, they're probably want to do business. We're going to take those calls. And I said, okay, well, we just, you know, just keep in mind, we have to watch our, our, our abandonment ratios and things like that. And they said, well, we're aware of it. We, we, we're, Thanks for pointing it out. We see your stats. We understand what's happening. We know exactly what's going on with our system. And that's a risk tolerance if we tweak over it every now and then that, that we can accept. Uh, so two, two different cases, but, but on, on the same concept of uh, uh, abandonment rates and or mixed skills and how they run a business and, and what their risk tolerance levels are. So, yeah, as I say, I kind of jokingly said, we see it every day. And uh, I, I had a discussion yesterday with a client as well on, on this very topic. So those are the type of things that, yes, we're very much in the uh, uh, very much in the uh, in the know on and I can see what clients are doing and and and, you know, try to help them maximize efficiency um, at the same time, help them make sure that they understand the uh, the compliance parameters on each side of it, uh, and, and they decide how they want to run their business. So, so yeah, it's uh, it's part of what we do. That's just part of what we do. A famous African proverb says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. At Nobel Biz, we have made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners and clients. As a complete telecom services provider with over 20 years of experience in the industry, Nobel Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers around the world. This contact center dedicated carrier network provides crystal clear voice traffic, up-to-date compliance tools, intelligent routing, and highly secure data protocols combined with 99.9% .9 uptime and easy setup. Our goal for 2022 is to become the ultimate partner and provider for the contact center industry by placing service quality at the top of our priority list. To top it off, at Nobel Biz, we have the most competitive cost per minute model in the industry. Need proof? Reach out to us and learn more about the Nobel Biz Voice Carrier Network at www.nobelbiz.com. Well, it's interesting. Two nuggets that really came out of that that stood out is that first example, they really knew their customer. Not, they didn't just know their business from, um, how they are productive, and I'm going to put that in quotes for my secondary comment, but the primary thing is they understood their customer and that 
the long-term effect of how they communicated with their customer and the journey that customer took and the friction, which is, you know, calls that, you know, they no, there's no one there, right? There's dead air and then they feel that maybe there's fraudulent uh, stuff and they DNC it. But them knowing holistically more of how their independent individual behaviors collectively create a journey that's positive or negative overall for them, that's really important for any business that has that kind of communications to understand how that impacts them, which is great. And that kind of leads me to that secondary comment, which is everything is not just a collection of individual moments in time, right? There is this need to step back and see how do these individual moments actually affect the overall outcome of the business? Because yes, you're right. You may be really pushing that 3%. You may be really pushing your connectivity because my top stat is talk time, a, way, a time in between calls um, you know, for my agents idle. And then you may realize that your penetration, yeah, is great, but now you have this subset of people that you've removed from your ability to contact in the future, which all have some sort of potential value to you, whether it's a recurring revenue, a customer of lifetime value, whatever it may be that you're measuring uh, over time. And so I think it's really good that when we talk about compliance, we talk about productivity, we talk about your operational KPIs, we also step back for a minute and see when we measure these things as individual silos, when you do this, how does it affect the overall goal that you have? And are those teams actually communicating in a way that you can see that whole thing? Or is it everything just purely individual spaces? So that was awesome to um, be able to see that you're seeing that and you're able to help consult and even understand how customers can leverage your know-how, your intelligence, your knowledge, and then obviously your product. So kind of let's shift a little bit to the, the pandemic, right? Um, during the pandemic, we've talked with a lot of people over time of how people just didn't have a choice. They went home, especially people that had uh, concerns are around security and data privacy and compliance and all these things where it's like, how are we going to get all these people home? But then also, how are we going to keep this stuff secure? You can think of obviously a lot of industries that that was applicable to. So what was the journey like for customer dynamics during that moment in time? Not only how you were selling, how you had to communicate, how uh, that changed, but how, if any, did people's adoption or customers that you were engaging adopt technologies like yours or otherwise, where there may have been concerns of going to the cloud and concerns around privacy and security? Yeah, the, uh, that, that, that was clearly a big issue to start out with. Uh, it, it's one that, um, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have a lot of concerns on the, on the security side because we're, we're fully in the AWS cloud, uh, full authentication of everything. So that, that, that wasn't a particular concern of ours. Uh, you know, we don't we don't have any hardware. We don't have any hardware at all in our in, in our office, zero, other than laptops, the guys' laptops. So having the full AWS security stack on top of everything, and, and then going through the major contact centers, which have great security, that that wasn't a particular issue for us. There were no home phone lines, uh, so to speak. So that that was that 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 wasn't a difficult journey. What, what was probably the most difficult was the uh, the different project managers. You had to get everybody together on conference calls, and that was sort of the real, uh, the real forced use of conference calling and working remotely with each other. I mean, today, getting on just like today, getting on this call remotely uh, and and working together, uh, it's it's common, it's common, it's standard, it's it's accepted industry practice. Now, I would say when that first started out, 
it was the it was sort of an anomaly. It was a, had to be a learned skill set. And how do you maintain productivity remotely versus in person? Uh, be that in office or going to visit people or things like that. That was that was a change for everybody. So I, I say, that quite frankly, that probably took I don't know almost a year to get used to. Uh, it it just wasn't very efficient, and people weren't used to you know setting up things from home and the internet connectivity at home was a little bit spotty from time to time uh, for pokes. But uh, uh, the connectivity issue was probably the biggest issue. And, but but now everybody accepts you can do you can do business and you can move projects and and and, and move things forward via video conference, which uh, uh, Teams meetings or Zoom meetings, uh, uh, things like that. It's it's just commonly accepted now and everybody's used to it. And quite frankly, it's it's reasonably efficient. But but there's still nothing like being able to set across face by face, face to face from each other, working together in office. Uh, there's nothing that can replace that. But you know, people are learning how to make a good uh, next best thing. I would call it next best thing. So uh, from from us overall, other than uh, made problem projects and implementations more complicated because we were just learning this video conferencing. Uh, it made things drag out a little bit longer. Uh, but but right now it's. Uh, kind of accepted practice and kind of the norm almost anymore. Going into the office is, I mean, we still do. We still have, uh, but I work remotely uh, and, and uh, I'll go into our office on routine, routinely every month uh, for a period of time. Uh, but other guys we have that, that that live in South Carolina, they're not in our offices in Utah. Uh, that That's just their normal way of working and it, and it works well for us. So not not a big deal anymore, really not. So when it comes to, let's say, implementations, right, and especially about a compliance product, maybe something that's different for someone that maybe went from a predictive ATDS or a dialer or any type of system like that to a, a manual solution or from a true manual like a PBX, you know, fat finger dial DTMF to, you know, this more robust solution like a safe select. Did you find from an implementation standpoint? Going from doing things in person versus remote or a mix of that, were there any learnings that you had where it's not just that it was less efficient at first and you had to do things collaboratively through video, but were there any things either personnel-wise, the type of people you had or needed to hire, or the way you approached training uh, that allowed you to say, hey, we learned a new way, this is uh, helpful for us, or was there something you're going, hey, we got to go back, this didn't work? Sure. I, I think probably... Um it, it was it was more difficult for people to change when we were during that time frame. I used to do it this way. I'm comfortable doing it this way. Uh, you know, call it this or anything else. Uh, 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 you're going to make me so adopt a new approach or new technology. Uh, there's always there's always resistance during the whole COVID area. That resistance became easier because I wasn't in person. I wasn't in person looking across the table at them and 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 seeing that I could I could. You know, I, I call it passive aggressive. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to do what you want me to do because I'm comfortable with what I was doing, and I need security during this time. I need consistency during this period of uncertainty, and, and that was probably more of a psychological impact that we saw than anything. Give me something I'm used to doing. Let me keep doing it during this this totally unknown and insecure time in my life. Uh, that was probably what I say. Implementations took a little bit longer. Overcoming that took a little bit more effort. Uh, from a manual dialing to, hey, you don't have to manually dial anymore. You don't have to punch those digits in. You don't have to do that. Uh, you don't have to do you know a click to call. Uh, when you hang up and you make yourself available again, another call is going to come right to you. So you don't have to waste your time 
uh, doing that or listening for rings or thing like that, it, it, another call will come to you with, with someone on the line and you can take it. And, and for commissioned folks, quite frankly, they loved it because it was like, are you telling me, you know how much my commissions have increased since I don't have to manually dial these calls or click the dial? I'm just fed the next call and I can get right on my next sale. So uh, it was kind of funny in some cases as we had, okay, they were going to adopt it and you know, team A was going to adopt it first and they had a, a tiered, tiered implementation strategy. Well, team A adopted it and they were telling all their buddies and friends that, holy cow, I get through so much more volume and my commissions have gone up. So we had scheduled adoptions to take them out like four months. Man, they, they pulled that in quicker than anything because they're like the, the teams B, C, and D uh, were like were anxious to get to get on the calls and and increase commission. So it was it was kind of funny. It was it was gr- it was a good funny. It was uh, it was uh, usually you have to fight to get people to implement, but what we saw was the efficiency and 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 getting you know getting rid of the non value added activities for an agent really helped them and, and made them more efficient. So everybody everybody was happier during that time frame. But at the same time, I'm not comfortable. I used to dial. I used to want to go back to the old habit. But fortunately for that, that group uh, and several other groups like it, commission was a driver. Uh, for groups that weren't on commission, just just dialing, then that was probably a little bit, took us a little bit longer to implement versus uh, uh, folks asking to be on. Put me on the new system now. So that was... Uh, uh, kind of, kind of two different, two different scenarios that we saw, but uh, all in all, it, it's it's pretty commonly accepted that as you as you try to improve agent efficiency, the agents will work with you and 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 they'll do it because it, it makes their life easier, quite frankly. Um, and uh, but but it makes them work. I mean, they're they're taking more calls. Their volume has increased. I mean, we uh, the client we went through reviewed their implementation. Um, you know, they had some pretty significant gains in, in throughput and efficiency of getting through their contact list with the system. So uh, at the end of the day, they know they have to be efficient and they want to be. So it, it's not such a hard sell. It really isn't. Well, I mean, migrations of tech stack, especially critical tech stack, are never easy. They're never fun. And they never take as long as most people say they do. And that's just kind of a, a norm, unfortunately. But one of the things is when you, in the contact center space, when you get down to the agent representative collector level and you can get their buy-in and you can get them to go, what's in it for me? That's always a great story because it definitely makes things a lot easier and it's good to see that you run into that. So look, for the last few minutes of our slot, I definitely want to shift topics a little bit and get a little bit more personal, right? You work a lot. You're heavily invested in the business. You're obviously you're passionate. But what do you do when you're not working? You got any hobbies? What do you do to balance work and life? Well, it's uh, it, it's kind of strange. Um, there there are two hobbies that are that are you know they've been passions of mine as a young as a young guy, um, and and that is uh, I'm a woodworker. I'm an avid I'm an avid woodworker, and uh, I'm an avid pilot. Uh, it's two totally different two totally different uh, hobbies. Uh, and um, you know, started the woodworking when I was uh, uh, 15 years old uh, in high school. I took a shop class and and, and loved it. And then uh, started uh, flight training when I was uh, I got 19 years old uh, and became a pilot. So uh, things I've had around for a long time and and just uh, two totally different uh, ends of the spectrum activities. But uh, those are things that, that I like to do and. Uh, all my kids are grown now, so they're 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 adults. Uh, I've still got, still got a couple in college, but 
you know, it's uh, it's my wife and I at home, uh, and uh, um, you know, it's uh, we raised our kids; uh, they're doing well, and those are ha- hobbies that 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 uh, you know, my kids have seen both of them. They've seen us do both of them, and uh, you know, as I build, uh, as my first daughter is moving out, I, I build some projects for them, uh, end tables and things like that, and uh, you know, they learn not to put. Uh, glasses so uh, you know wet glasses that condensate on wood and uh, on good wood we call it good wood and so I've, I've i've all trained them to call it good wood you don't you don't put the you know use a coaster never put a uh, never put a sweating glass on a, on a on good wood and so they all they all joke and laugh about it good wood and so that's the type of thing and then uh you know my i have one daughter and three sons uh um uh, you know the daughter's a veterinary and then the boys are in school and and all three of the boys have uh, gotten their solo pilot's license as well. So, you know, we're kind of a uh, kind of an interesting. None of them really like woodworking, but they they, they don't mind the other activities. But that, that's kind of what I do. And, and and you know, as boring as it sounds, my wife uh, my wife is a former CPA as well. Uh, so, to a couple accounting nerds by background uh, in the house, and uh, you know, that's uh, that's kind of what we do. So, it's uh, not not that exciting, but. Uh, Something that's something that's relaxing for me. Both of them are relaxing for me. So I've flown cross country in the plane, uh, my plane before. Uh, I've done that. Uh, love it. Uh, and I've made uh, you know all kinds of woodworking projects, from clocks to dressers to tables to all kinds of stuff. So uh, kind of a um, kind of an interesting uh, interesting approach. Well, I'll tell you right now. I can't say anybody saying flying an airplane is boring. Maybe to activate the flight itself, but just the concept of being able to fly a plane. I, I highly doubt anybody thinks that. But with that being said, you know, I want to finish up this last piece with uh, a little bit more of a personal business question. Uh, I know you're always reading. I know you're always keeping up to date. But are there any favorite books or authors or people that you listen to? Uh, that really, for those who maybe want, are interested in, let's say, customer service, business management, you know, business-related things, anything come to mind that you think would be great to share with our audience? Well, actually, you know, I, I thought about this before because that's usually a question that somebody asks. Um, uh, I, I would say it's not a particular book, but it's more of a, a, a industry trend. And, and where is where are we going overall? Macro trends. I, I look at the macro trends book. Uh, that's I'll call it the genre of, of macro trends. And and right now, um, obviously, been doing a lot of several books. And none, none are particular favorites uh, on, on the whole AI concept and what's going on with AI. And you hear it and you think, well, that that may just be a buzz. But but quite frankly, uh, uh, just my my inner nerd. Uh, decide to get it on, on ChatGPT and 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 put in some requests for SQL, and holy cow, it wrote the whole SQL stream in in a matter of seconds. And you know, I have this one this one consultant that I work with frequently. She's she's absolutely brilliant. I mean, she's world class brilliant. Um, and and so I was chatting, talking with her about it, and I said, "What do you what do you think about this, Kay?" And she said, Dan, I, I think it's absolutely great. She goes, it's great because I learned how to do it from ground up. So I know what it's doing and I know behind the scenes what it's doing. What I worry about is some of the younger folks who just rely on that and don't and don't understand the, 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 the basis behind it, just relying on it without being able to correct it after it's generated or things like that. So she said, is it's wonderful for efficiency. It's wonderful for productivity. 
But if you never learn how to do the basics first, then, you know, I, and my wife and I joke being from, uh, uh, you know, being from old school accounting folks, you need to know how to add numbers in your head. No, you don't. Dad, we, we, we have Excel. We can just sum them up in total. Yeah, but, but you need to know so you can know when a set of numbers is not adding up correctly or, or subtracting. And it's just that kind of thing that you look at. But, but clearly AI is an area that I'm trying to keep up on because it will affect all of us. Uh, I don't know what ways, I don't know how, uh, but just on the limited stuff that we've seen so far, it, it's going to be a massive, massive productivity improvement factor uh, for everything. And uh, maybe displace workers, maybe maybe enhance different different technologies, change things. But but that's that's probably the area. But uh, you know, I wish I could give you a favorite author on that topic, but I don't have one. Uh, but it's an offer, and, and and you know, the old megatrends. So what's happening? I try to keep up. Try to keep up with that type of stuff, and and that's what interests me. It's outside of kind of outside of our particular compliance thing. But but even that is gonna it will be applied eventually to compliance. Uh, and uh, I mean, I can see some I can see some applications for it already and stuff that we're trying to keep up on. And how do we how do we bring that into our business as well? Uh, and it's all in the name of uh, agent efficiency. That's that's how I look at it is how do we how do we make customers more profitable and, and keep their profitability up while, while being compliant? But but yeah, you know, wish I could give you a name of an author, but but in this round, probably not. No, but it's all it's all good stuff in the sense of that is a hot topic right now. There's obviously a lot of disruption that could happen both positive and then obviously change always a goal for those that are, are not necessarily benefiting off from it but look uh, there's going to be a lot of people who are saying i need to get a hold of dan i want to understand more about customer dynamics how do they go about doing that well i, I mean i'll give you my business number it's uh, it's easy i'm on our website my email my email address is out there uh, dan.greenwell at customerdynamics.com and my phone number uh, 712-899-7000 so it's easy to ignore uh, 712-899-7000. And people get it and think, oh, this is one of these robocalls, these <laughs> these unconsented robocalls. And it's like, no, guys, when I call you, that, that that's just, I was lucky enough to get that number uh, 20 years ago and I've kept that every, ever since, ending in 7,000. So uh, easy to easy to contact uh, at, at any time and, uh, you know, go to our website. Uh, we're, we're out there, happy to happy to get in contact with you and, and see if there's uh, some way we can be helpful. Well, that's awesome. We really appreciate you joining the show. Thanks so much for sharing your story and obviously all the neat things you're doing at Customer Dynamics. For our audience, obviously, is the end of this episode. Hopefully, you found it useful. Uh, this is, again, another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. And if you're not listening on Apple or Spotify, please find a place to be able to listen to it. You can re-listen to everything. And if you got any recommendations on guests we can have, give us a shout. Let us know. Also, let us know how we're doing. Thanks so much for joining. Have a good Thanks one. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me in this episode. If you're loving the content, make sure to hit that subscribe button on your YouTube channel for exclusive clips, webinars, workshops, and bonus materials. And if you're an Apple iTunes listener, we greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review to help spread the word. On our YouTube page, you can also leave us feedback, comments, and suggest future guests that you'd like to hear from. For even more valuable insights and information on the call center world, visit nobelbiz.com and access our on-demand webinars. I'm Christian Montez, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of First Contact Podcast. Stay with us for the next exciting chapter.